Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CE curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Hello, everyone. My name is Mark Friedman. I'm a professor of neurology at the University of Ottawa and a senior scientist at the Ottawa Hospital Research Institute in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. And I'm here to talk to you about what do clinicians need to know about the new validated diagnostic tools in making a diagnosis of MS. So it's important to consider the evolution of MS from what we are calling now the radiological isolated syndrome right through to the progressive disease. In this little cartoon here, you can see there's what's called a clinical threshold above which Patients have symptoms, physicians can actually appreciate signs. And we know that when demyelination first occurs and it crosses the clinical threshold, we're aware that the patient has a disease. We call that the clinically isolated syndrome. But if you do an MRI, you actually can find evidence of demyelination that preceded that first clinical episode. So that is what is referred to as RIS, lesions that look like MS but are not necessarily MS. The McDonald criteria, when it was evolution over the years, so 2005, started to incorporate the fact that you can get new lesions on MRI, but you can see that they're subclinical under the threshold. And that still allowed us to make a diagnosis earlier and not having to wait for this second clinical attack. That was the key because the second clinical attack was often delayed. And that was the oldest definition of MS. So now what's happened is the window from making that diagnosis has shifted from what you see here to now what we see here. And one of the concerns was, can we even shift it further to the left to CIS? I think there's evidence now that that is the case and more people are considering CIS a form of MS. Or can we shift it even further to RIS? And that's certainly something that's under uh, review right now. So the most important thing is not to put the label where it doesn't belong. You have to have signs and symptoms that are compatible with central nervous system demyelination, full stop, before we even consider applying the diagnostic criteria. If there is a better explanation for a person's uh, particular presentation, that's the disease that's in question. When we talk about the radiological isolated syndrome, that's the MRI. Only, no symptoms suggestive of MS. The criteria have evolved, the most recent I've shown here. And more or less, it's somebody who got an MRI for whatever reason, but it wasn't because of symptoms suspicious of MS. Could have been for examination of, say, a migraine, head trauma, something to that effect. The McDonald criteria are based on two important premises. Dissemination in space throughout the nervous system, and dissemination in time, meaning it evolved at different times. So that's multiple sclerosis, areas of scarring, different parts of the brain at different times. That has never changed for the diagnosis of MS. What has evolved now is the fact that you can get certain markers that indicate a time spectrum. For instance, if you do a spinal tap and get spinal fluid that is specific for oligoclonal banding, that didn't happen the day you took the spinal tap, it's reflective of a change in the nervous system through an immune interaction that has definitely taken place months or even years before the patient presented. So it can now substitute 
for this dissemination in time. You don't have to wait. If somebody's had a, an early presentation with an MRI that's characteristic and you get oligoclonal bands, you got a diagnosis. You don't need to wait. And this is all summarized in the 2017 McDonald criteria, but there is a revision in place. I can tell you there'll probably be a 2024 rendition of this same diagnostic criteria coming soon. But nevertheless, if you've had one attack and you've got lesions and now you've got um, enhancing and non-enhancing lesions and a spinal fluid that's positive, you can make a diagnosis of MS. Primary progressive MS is a little more difficult because this progressive neurological deterioration requires you to eliminate other possibilities. For instance, getting a spinal fluid, showing oligoclonal bands, getting an MRI showing that there's no other process in the spinal cord is absolutely key. Nobody has a definition yet for secondary progressive MS and it's probably something that's disappearing as well. So the progressive MS, you need that progressive deterioration. You've got no other explanation and you've got other MRI supportive information. I hope that helps you to use the validated tools that we have today for diagnosis of multiple sclerosis. And thank you so much for listening today. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME LLC, and is part of our Minute CE curriculum. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com CME. Thank you for listening.